Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Open your Bibles with me to 1 John. So go all the way to the right and then go back. Um, like three, three or four books. Get to Revelation, hang a left. Oh, I forgot about Jude. Sorry, Jude. Forgot about you. First uh, and second, third John. So we're in first John, and what I want to do is I want to kind of back up and get a running start into this morning. I also want to preface it with this. Um, I feel like the Lord's going to do some, some pretty powerful things just through his word this morning. The word of God is, is living and active, and we believe it is, and we believe that... that uh, it is, we need it, and we can't live without it. Um, but one of the, this is, this is my first sermon, then I'll get to the second sermon. One of the things that we need to realize is if we only come to God's word for comfort, we're coming for the wrong reasons. Okay? First and foremost, the word of God will always leave you in that place of comfort, but before it gets you there, it's got to break you down and build you back up. So this morning is going to be a break you down to build you back up, okay? And we're going to look at some challenging things that I believe we need to hear as a community and all believers need to hear to wrestle with and to ask genuinely the question, is this true of me? And then at the end of the message, I'm going to have a time of just leading us through a, a time of prayer that Corey helped write. And uh, it's just going to be walking through, Lord, is this true of me? then I repent of it. Is this true of me? Then I repent of it. Is this true of me? Then I repent of it. And then, Lord, what do you, what do you have for me in that place? And what way are you going to build me up? And then we're going to take communion together. Okay? Sound good? All right. Okay. Um, before we get into, uh, we're in First John chapter 2. Let me back up and just kind of do a, a review of what we talked about in John so far. So first, John starts with writing the church and sharing with, with the church communities of Asia Minor, hey, I've, I was with Jesus. I was there. I saw it in person. This is what he was like, but also an invitation for you to join and experience Jesus in the way that I experienced Jesus. That's where he starts. Then he goes in, he talks about how God is light, and he desires his followers to walk in light and to not walk in darkness. Then he goes on and he talks about how sin is the real, in the reality of the world, but that through Jesus, as our advocate and our sacrifice— we have forgiveness of sins, and so we need to come back over and over again as believers to access that forgiveness and to live in freedom. And then he goes on to talk about um, whoever knows God keeps his commands and strives to walk like, like Jesus. And then Mike did a great job of talking about how if you are a follower of Jesus and you have uh, an issue, you don't like your brother and sister, then you got a problem. And you got to figure that out. Because uh, followers of Jesus need to work at reconciliation and, and unity, and then Anna did a beautiful job last week of talking about um, spiritual growth and how children have an understanding of forgiveness, which is the baseline. And then ad and adolescents, um, adolescents get to a place where they are conquering the evil one because they are overcomers. And then the fathers uh, at the top are the ones that have this unity, this unitive experience of God, and they're just connected with the Father in that way. And, he, and it was a beautiful model of what <clears throat> faith looks like. And then we get to the really challenging words that John says to us in verse 15. 
He says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And this is what Dylan talked about with the kids in verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is actually the very first command that John gives to the churches. After his long introduction in chapter 1 and half of chapter 2. And he gets to this point and he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Okay. So as a good student of the text, and we read verse 15, what's the first question we should ask ourselves? What is the world? Close. What's that? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But really we should ask ourselves, what does John mean by what is the world? Okay? Because it's actually not a universal thing. So you're going to listen to me this morning and you're going to say, Pastor Jimmy, you sound confusing. You said this and now you're saying this. And I thought you said it that it was this way and now you're saying it's this way. Yes. Not because I'm saying this, but because if you want to understand John and how John writes, you have to realize John never only means one thing. He's layered. Okay? So John, what he means on the surface is true, but also what he means below the surface is true. And in order to figure those things out, you've got to dig a little bit. You've got to kind of earn your way through there. And it takes work. Because a lot of what John writes about is metaphorical. And I know that's hard for some people who are brought up that, hey, a literal reading of the scriptures is what it means. That sounds great until you get to, like, Revelation. And then it becomes really complex because you just can't do it. Well, it's true. John wrote Revelation. It's true of John's gospel. It's true of First and Second, Third John, okay? So I'll, show, I'll give you some examples, and then you'll be like, oh, I get it now. I promise you I'll, I'll give you at least a couple. So he says, do not love the world, verse 15, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in them. Again, this is his first command. The world, according to John, is the sphere of things that are not the proper object for Christians to love. Okay? Let me give you some examples of what, where other places where John talks about the world. He says in 1 John 5, 19, the world is under the control of the evil one. This is the harsh reality, and, and it would take me a really long time to paint that picture for you. But if you start in Genesis, you begin to see, because of the fall of man, that the evil one has control over the world in that way. That's why Jesus comes to take that back. John also says in John 12 and in and John 1, the world is under God's judgment and lies in darkness and sin. Okay? So it points the world in a pretty negative place. And most of us would say, yep, I'm with you. However, I believe... One of the detriments or misunderstandings of the church is that we stayed there and we didn't go any further. And so we have a negative light pointed on the world and everything encompassed within the world. And actually, that's just not what the scriptures say. And how do we know that? Here's the flip side. Because John also says that God loved the world. Right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. So how does, how does John say, the world is evil, it's bad, da-da-da, and God says, but I love the world. 
And here's the challenge for us as Christians. We are to sit in between the tension of those two things. Not way over there or way over there. Because we are here on earth, and so we have to live as though those two things are true. And that's what we're called into. Now, I'm grateful to John that he doesn't stop at verse 15. He gives us more. He actually tells us the answer in 16. This is what he says. For everything in the world, okay? So this is what he means now. This is not everything in the world, but he's going to break it down into three actual categories. And those are what we're going to pay attention to this morning. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Okay. The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, and the pride of life. What are those things? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. The desire of the flesh. The impulse of human behavior that arises from the natural, God-given physical needs. That which is within us, our emotions, our feelings, our sexual temptations. This is why it's confusing. Because a lot of what leads to this is what God put in us in the first place. There's an author, and he, he, um, he calls it uh, almost like a conspiracy. Um, that, that at such an, a young age, the passion for life and, and, and connecting with another person in sexual ways put in us, but yet our culture is like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Sit in that place for a good six or seven years plus. And then you get married, and then you get to live that out. And, and the author talks about, like, man, that's really hard, the fact that God wired us in such a way, and yet, and yet we have to sit in that for a while. And so that, that's a challenge. So we have to live with that challenge. He talks about the word flesh here in verse 16, which in Greek is the word sarx. And Paul uses this, and every, almost every time Paul uses this, it's for a negative means. Okay? But it's different for John. So what Paul means by sarx and what John means by sarx are, are different. John uses it to mean in opposition to, to the divine mandate. The flesh does not denote innate sinfulness. So, flesh seems bad, yes. However, according to John, flesh is not always bad. Well, how do we know that? Because the Word became flesh. I know, right? It's not this or that. It's somewhere in the middle. And so if we run with a theory that flesh is bad, which is a lot of what Christians think about, well, then Jesus has to be bad because he's enfleshed just like us. And so therefore, flesh does not denote always bad. And here's the beauty of what God did. God came to earth as a human being in the person of Jesus, takes on flesh to be like us, to show us that we can live a life in union with the Father in perfect harmony. That's the plan. That's how it was supposed to be. But things got bent. But through Christ, things became redeemed and made right. So the possible possibility of walking with God in the way it's, we're supposed to is made right. Jesus is the model for what God has intended in the first place, that humanity and divinity would coexist in perfect harmony and obedience to God. Jesus reveals to us that can be, what can be accomplished through perfect surrender to the Father. The desire of the flesh may be natural, but our fallen nature drives people to satisfy themselves in ways that are not of God. The desire for the flesh is simply desire for things that pertain merely to this life. 
to allow one's needs to become the driving force. And when human impulse operates under the power of the evil one, they are called by John as the world. Does that make sense? You with me? Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing, the desire of the eye. The short-sighted desire for what the eye sees physically. What pleases us. So coveting and greed would fit into those places. The tendency to be captivated by the outward show of things without in looking into its internal value. Think the, one of the greatest examples I could think of is David and Bathsheba. So literally David was like, I want that thing. It's not good for me. It's not right for me. I, I shouldn't. But I took what I wanted and in so doing, I compromised myself. That's the lust or the desire of the eye. Taking for yourself what you desire or you want and not realizing what is the e eternal implications. That's why John ends in 17. He says, hey, look, there are things that aren't good. You shouldn't be doing them. But there are things that you do that are eternal. Focus on those things. The third thing, the pride of life. Pride is the domain of self-centeredness, arrogance, and boastfulness. The opposite of humility, needing to be needed, the desire to, to achieve self-identity on the things that I have done. In the scriptures, pride is to trust in one's own power, overconfidence in one's ability, resource, and wealth. For John, it's people who think they don't need God. That's pride. Or we see in the original sin, people who want to be God or usurp who God is. And don't we do that when we basically live our lives in such a way where we don't feel like we need God? We are being prideful in that way. Okay? Those are the three areas <clears throat> that John brings up that he says, that's what I mean when I say the world is something we should stay away for, from not love or not desire. Does that make sense? Okay? I'm, I'm really glad that John gives us verse 16, because if he only gave us verse 15, we'd have to do a lot more hunting and trying to figure out what, it, what he means by that, but he literally spells it out in those three areas. And one of the things that's important for us is we begin to see how the enemy works. The enemy works in direct opposition to what God wants. And he takes the things that the Lord wants for us that are good things, and he twists them and manipulates them and entices us to them. And when we, when we give in to those things, we lose out on what God has for us. Okay? So, what do we do with that? We're invited to grab hold of the character of Christ in all those areas of our lives. And what, what is the flip side of those three things? Okay, what is the flip side of the desire of the eyes? It is the spiritual life. The spiritual life lived out is in direct opposition to the desires of this world. You want to practice working at um, dealing with the desires of the flesh fast. Stop eating for an extended period of time. And you will know just how much control your flesh has over your body. When your spoiled child rises up and starts throwing a fit inside of you, and it was like, feed me, feed me, feed me. That's one simple way you can begin to say, how do I want to work against the desire of the flesh in my life? Well, do some life reflections. Spend some time in God's word. You'll see the desire of the eye. The opposite of the desire of the eye, which is I, I want that thing, is generosity. 
It's selflessness. The next time you're enticed by something, and I'm, I'm right there with you, you know, oh, that would be great to have that thing. Why don't you think, why don't I take something from that, the money I was going to spend on that, why don't I go look for somebody who really needs it more than I need this other thing in my life? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, come on, all of you should raise your hand. If you've conquered this, I'll get you a microphone and you can stand next to me and you can tell us all how to do it. But one of the ways is to say, to step back and be like, do I really need this thing right now? One of my mentors, he went through a time of, of working through this and he was sharing with me and, and uh, his thing was like tools. So like Lowe's and Home Depot. And he made, he dis, he made a, a kind of a spiritual discipline in his life with the Lord that anytime he bought something, he would, he would take the exact same amount of money and give it away to somebody. And really fast, he's like, well, I can't afford these things anymore. Because <laughs> I'm paying twice as much for them. So think of ways in your life as you reflect on next time the thing that comes up for you. And we all have these things all the time. You begin to ask yourself, man, is this something I really need? Or you can ask yourself, is this something that will lead into eternity? Is really what John gets to at the end, or not? And finally, the third thing, the pride of life. The antithesis of the pride of life is humility. And that's a whole five-year sermon series to figure out humility. That's a hard one. Humility is challenging. But it's one of the most profound spiritual disciplines that we have, that we're invited into. And here, here's the challenging thing. This is probably one of the, the most discouraging things I'm going to tell you all morning. You can't do this on your own. It is not physically possible. It's not possible. Unless, you, you can, but it'll last for a little while. You'll be successful for a day, for a week. That'll be great, but eventually you'll slip back into that. Why? Because unless the Spirit of God is leading you, you can't conquer these things on your own. And you're not meant to. All these things, and, and this is again where you're going to say, like, what are you talking about, Jimmy? One of the beautiful benefits of sin is literally showing you you need God. It's one, of, it's one of its design purposes from the beginning. Like that's what Paul says about the law. The law exists to show you you can't do it on your own. I'd say God uses sin in your life to, show, to reveal to you the gaping holes that need to be dealt with. And he's also saying you can't do that by yourself. I'm showing it to you because I want to show you that you need me. Because I want to partner with you. I want to make you who I want you to be. But if you keep striving on your own, you're never going to get there. And you're just going to get more and more frustrated. But if you entrust me with these things, together we will conquer them and overcome them. Because I will work in you and I will show you the things that you cannot do. And that's a beautiful thing. Galatians 5.16, that's why he says this to us. Paul says this to the church in, in Galatia. So I, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That, that's it. All those three things are the desires of the flesh. The world, according to John. And what Paul says, the key to that is to walk in the Spirit of God. And if we walk in the Spirit of God, we begin to see breakthrough in those areas. The last thing he says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does, does the will of God lives forever. Everything you see, everything you purchase, everything you consume will pass away. 
Keep that in mind as Christmas comes up. Just putting it out there. Okay? The world will pass away, and with the world, the evil desires of the world will go with it. Amen? Because God will renew heaven and earth, and those things have no place in heaven and earth. They are unnecessary anymore. But anyone doing the will of God remains forever. What you do in this world matters. It has a significance on one end or it has a significance on, on the other end. You're literally doing, be, doing things that will be burnt up and will not last. And you will do things right now in your life that will echo into eternity. I don't know how that works. But God's word tells us that that's true. So I'm going to go ahead and believe that that's true. And so that should invite us to really think about what we do and how we do what we do. Because what we do matters. Now... Here's kind of bringing things all together before we go into a time of prayer. And this is also profound, so I want you to hear this. When we place God at the center of our lives as Savior and Lord, we can rightfully satisfy the physical needs of the world, enjoy material blessings, and have true security to live amazing lives. That was a great point, Pastor Jimmy. That's super helpful. All right, I'll read it again. When we place God at the center of our lives as Savior and Lord, we can rightly satisfy the physical needs of the world, enjoy material blessings, and have true security to live amazing lives. Because those three areas are put in their proper place, and they no longer have mastery over us. So when we do that, we can begin to enter into some of those things and actually enjoy them in the way that God told us or to enjoy them because they don't manipulate us or control us. We hold them with open hands because we realize that God has them all and God owns them all and they don't belong to us anymore. And so when that happens, we're able to live in such a way where they don't manipulate us or control us anymore. They don't have dominion over us because we, don't, because we want God more than anything else. And once you come to that place, you experience freedom. Thank you, Jenny. So this is what I want to do. Uh, as we wrap up our time together and we're, we're going to come to the table for communion. I'm going to lead us through a prayer. So I want to invite you to do this. If you have something to write with, get it out. Because I'm telling you right now, the Lord's going to begin to speak to you around some of these areas of your life. And so if that means putting in your phone, that's fine. If that means writing it on a piece of paper, write it on a piece of paper. There's pens. There's offering envelopes you can write on. You can use them for other things too. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to come before the Lord right now. And we're just going to go through these three areas. And we're going to ask God, are there things in my life in these three areas that I need to surrender? Would you show them to me? And then whatever the Lord begins to show you, just write it down. And you're going to be invited during this week. Maybe you need to come and, and sit down and, and talk to me. Find somebody in your life you can trust. And our spouse and say, like, these things came up for me. Would you, would you walk with me through them? And would you help me to, to seek the Lord to overcome these things, okay? And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, old or young, God's going to speak to you if, if you come before the Lord right now and you, and you ask these questions, okay? So Bridget's just going to quietly play in the background, and I'm just going to lead us through this, this prayer. And you're just going to come before the Lord and ask. And then after we go through these three areas, I'm going to lead us through another prayer 
And I'm going to invite you just to say, say these things after me, but I'll let you know when we get there. Here's the first prayer I want you to invite to pray just between you and the Lord. If you feel like you need to say it out loud, say it out loud. Lord, are there any lies I am believing connected to the desire of the flesh about my physical needs, my emotions, or sexual temptation? Lord, are there any lies that I am believing connected to the desires of the flesh about my physical needs, my emotions, or sexual temptation? prayer. Lord, are there any lies I am believing about the desires of the eyes, material desires, greed, or coveting? Lord, are there any lies I am believing about the desire of the eye, material desires, greed, or coveting? any lies I am believing about the pride of life, boastfulness, achievement, or self-centeredness? Lord, are there any lies I am believing about the pride of life, boastfulness, achievement, or self-centeredness?
This is what I want to invite us to do together as a community. We're going to pray this prayer together out loud. <clears throat> I want to invite you just to hold your hands open in a posture of receiving whatever the Lord has for you. I'll say the first line, and then together, out loud, we're going to say it together, and then I'll, I'll just lead us through this prayer. And we're going to finish with asking God what he wants to give us in exchange as we, as we let these things go. And then we're going to have a, a time of just silence as you ask the Lord over and over again, Lord, what do you want to give me in exchange? Would you join me? Again, I'll say it first, and then you can say it out loud, but we'll say it out loud together. Father, let's start over. We'll try it again. Here we go. Father, I repent of and renounce all of my participation with the sin of this world in my life. Lord, I break all agreements that I made with darkness through my sin, disobedience, and idolatry. In particular, I repent of and renounce sins of the flesh, of the eye, and the pride of life. Father, forgive me and cleanse me through the blood of Christ release the power of your spirit into my body and my soul to heal and to fill me through and through I declare my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit darkness has no legal place in me. I decree I'm an excellent of soul. I'm walking in agreement with God and his word in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I give you these lies and wrong agreements, I lay them at your feet. Father God, what do you have for me in exchange for these things? One more time. Father God, what do you have for me in exchange for these things? So just take a moment and listen. Just keep asking. Holy Spirit, what do you want to give me? as I surrender these things to you. The Lord will begin to speak to you and reveal things to you. Just write them down and take note of them.
Father, we thank you. Thank you that you've made a way for us to be made right with you through Jesus, his body and his blood. We thank you for revealing the truth of your word to us in the areas of our lives that we need to surrender to you, that we need to work on. I just pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to come and do that work in our lives. Reveal what needs to be revealed so that you can partner with us to be overcomers of these things. So that sin would no longer have mastery in these areas of our lives. We would find freedom. For that we are grateful. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.